0: All wings, report in. House Dog, standing by. Mother Goose, standing by. Lock S foils in attack position. Animal Squadron ready for battle. Hello there, and welcome back to Animal Squadron. I am your host, House Dog, and with me, as always, my favorite person to fly around the galaxy with, Mother Goose. How you doing tonight, man?
1: Hey, everybody. I am doing really, really good. How about you? I'm so excited. I can't
0: I can't lie. I've been so excited to do this podcast for ever since we released the first one. I've just been thinking about it, super excited about it, and I'm just I'm happy
1: to be here. Me too. I'm really excited. Like I at the point of recording this, I just finished watching episode 1 and I am so excited to talk about it.
0: I was rushing to watch it myself. So, we we both kind of slacked off a bit, but you know? A little bit, but we're ready. its It wouldn't be us if we didn't slack a little bit.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Oh, okay. Well, enough with the intros. We've got a lot to cover. I have literally probably about four pages of notes just about Phantom Menace, and I'm ready to get into it. I am, too. All right, great. So I'll just go off, and uh, we'll see what we have to say about the things I wrote down. Hopefully you have coinciding topics.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay, so starting off, uh, you know, we have Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn landing there to do the um, negotiations with the Trade Federation. And Obi-Wan says, you know, that his mind is elsewhere, and that he, you know, senses a disturbance in the Force. Yeah. And it really makes me wonder if he's like starting to sense either Anakin or Palpatine's plot that's been in the works for a long time but is now being set into motion because of their being there. And Qui-Gon brings up the Living Force, which is a new concept with this movie.
1: Interesting. Okay, yeah, I definitely see the, what you're saying there. I, I didn't catch that, but I think that makes total sense. The I mean, this is the start of the saga. This is the moment where, maybe not this exact moment, but everything's about to change. I w- I could definitely see the Force w- warning Obi-Wan, especially with as large a part as he plays.
0: Right. I agree. And then, like I said, my notes are all chronological with the movie. So as I was watching, I was writing this down. I didn't watch it and then try to write down all my thoughts. So,
1: Yeah. Uh, so go for it i've actually I've actually got a point um one thing I really loved about this opening scene was how it established the Jedi as a peacekeeping force throughout the galaxy because obviously in the original trilogy the Jedi had already been defeated, and a lot of people didn't even believe the Jedi even existed even though it was only <laughs> a night what a nineteen year difference um yeah just about but I thought it was really interesting how the—and uh, I'm going to pronounce their race name wrong—the Neomodians. Yeah, the, the Federation. Yeah. yeah. Um, just how afraid they were of the Jedi, even though um, Gunray hadn't even seen one in person before.
0: Right. No, it is crazy, which actually I actually have a ton of notes about them. So, first off, they're so awesome. They're just the coolest looking things ever. I love it.
1: Their eyes are, like, crazy. I know. Just the, like, split in them. It's a little gross, but I still like it. Right? Like, they seem like they're these, like,
0: reptilian creatures. Like, they seem like they'd be slimy. Yes. Yes,
1: they do seem like that. I'm a little uncomfortable now. I don't I'm know. These alive, are <laughs> these are just
0: my strange Star Wars character thoughts, but no, like uh, <laughs> back to the movie.
1: <laughs>
0: Whenever now that uh, you
1: pointed it out, yeah, yeah
0: now now that I pointed it out, but no, the um once they figure out that the ambassadors are Jedi, uh, Viceroy's little like lackey dude. I don't know his name, but the other one, he he just yeah. goes, you know, send a droid in. And then it pans to uh, the protocol droid TC fourteen, and even though it doesn't have you know like an expressive face, you can tell by I think it's like a female protocol droid, so I'm just gonna call her she uh, she like looks she like does this double take and looks at both of them like you're really gonna send me in there with two Jedi, and then it just cuts to the next scene. Oh, but then yeah. you have Palpatine that's still on the the comms. Uh, right. He just goes, just kill him, and I'm like, what? This man's just gonna kill two Jedi and think that like nothing's gonna happen.
1: Uh, exactly. Okay, wait. So this is something I really wanted to point out be- before we actually started talking about it. So I should probably point it out now. Um, one thing, and this is to our viewers to keep in mind when we're talking about, um. Uh, The prequel trilogy is george lucas took a lot of inspiration from shakespeare's plays when he was writing the dialogue so that is one reason that it's really over the top and it's something to keep in mind when you're actually critiquing the dialogue because yes i will admit as much as i love the prequels it does have some cringy dialogue but there's a point there's a reason behind it it's because they were trying to mimic shakespearean plays
0: boy do i have cringy notes about dialogue later <laughs> oh
1: we'll get into it sorry i just i know we're no starting no i think that's cool a songs. great
0: point to add because with the start of this movie and then the following two that is one thing that people always say well the dialogue is like it's so it seems out of place
1: you know what yeah. i mean yeah but
0: really it's not because you're dealing with these huge ideas of politics and war and you know, espionage and sabotage and all the other ages out there. So no, that's that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up because it totally slipped my mind.
1: Yeah. I just that's I recently found that out maybe last six months and I was like, that makes total sense. Of course that's why it's like that. Right. No, that that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway Prequel Defender
0: Elijah Till
1: the day I die.
0: Uh, Next up, like I said, whenever I did watch this movie, I tried to pretend like, you know, I was six years old again and watching this movie for the first time. So I wanted to bring up, uh, you know, Qui-Gon getting through the blast door. Do you remember watching that scene? Well, like, probably not the first time you ever saw it, but, you know, in your early childhood, like seeing that scene and how cool it was that Qui-Gon not only was like getting through the first door, but then they closed these other huge you know just gargantuan metal doors and he's still breaking through
1: it okay so i actually do remember watching that for the first time um so i didn't wa- i didn't get to watch it in theaters so probably i was probably actually around f- i was 2 when the movie came out but i probably was around 5 or 6 when i saw it for the first time right so i i do vaguely remember that scene and i remember um uh, The Darth Maul scene, which we'll get to later. But those are are the two things I distinctly remember from my first watch through. And you're right. It is absolutely amazing.
0: Which brings us right into, because Obi-Wan calls out to Qui-Gon, destroyers. Do you remember the first time seeing Droidicas and how cool they were?
1: Amazing. I still thought they were really cool. Like, this watch through... Yeah, same.
0: As soon as I saw the droidicas roll through the hallway, I was like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot that there were droidicas. Like, I don't know how it slipped my mind, but I was just like, man, those things are so cool. And they're so, like, I guess, minimalistic, you know? Yeah. Like, they're just these little ball things that, like, have shields. But they're so cool. I don't know. I just feel like a little kid again every time I, I see them.
1: Me too. Me too. They they definitely are one of the best droids that the prequels gave us. So something just real quick I wanna add. So you you watched this film from the perspective of you were six again and this was the first time you were ever watching it. Yeah, um, I tried to. I actually went in with a okay, I've seen this before, but I wanna take like the nostalgic glasses off. Right. And just like really critique this film for what it is. So that's kind of was my my thought process when viewing it this time.
0: Then our notes should be very interesting to compare and dissect.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I just want to say we are officially 10 minutes into this podcast and we are not even past the first scene.
0: Uh I'm I'm moving us there.
1: <laughs> I'm moving us there. Okay? No, that's not a complaint. I love it. I, I love this conversation. No,
0: I knew this episode was probably going to be really full because it's
1: the Phantom Menace. So much happens. So much happens.
0: Okay, so uh, my next like kind of bigger point is um, still in like the first and second scene. Uh, <laughs> Obi-Wan and <laughs> Qui-Gon have just gotten to the the main like hold of the ship and they see all the battle droids and everything. And they're they're speaking about, oh, how do we get off and all that type of stuff. And I love seeing, you really get to see the relationship of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan really quickly within the first, you know, five to ten minutes of the movie where um, Qui-Gon's devising a plan. Well, we got to get down to the surface and, you know, help the people of this planet as soon as we can. And out of nowhere, Obi-Wan tells Qui-Gon, well, you were right about one thing, Master. The negotiations were short. And, oh man, that's, just seeing that, I was like, there's my guy, there's Obi-Wan, with There is Obi-Wan, yeah. You know, you get, you see his personality take shape, even though this is the first time we're meeting him, uh, Obi-Wan being played by Ewan McGregor, that is. Right. So this really was the first time we're meeting Obi-Wan
1: Kenobi in the galaxy besides Ben. Right, right. And, as we pointed out in our last podcast, at that point, Obi-Wan really was dead. He died on Mustafar with Anakin.
0: Right. So I just I thought that was so fun to see their relationship build, and we get to see, okay, this is who they are as a master and an apprentice. You know, Qui-Gon is very mission-oriented, thinking all the time. About all the different aspects of everything, and then you have Obi Wan, who's still achieving the mission, but he goes, "Eh, this is a good place for me to add a little quip in there." Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then so we get past that, and we see uh Naboo for the first time, and um, how smart is Palpatine and his plan? How quickly he can adapt. And overcome different challenges that every character in this galaxy is giving him with his, you know, grand uh, evil plot. Immediately, he sends a transmission to uh, Naboo. And then, bam, communications are wiped out. All of a sudden, right? Of course. How convenient. And with that, we get a beautiful shot of the love of my life. (laughs) Padme Amidala. In my notes, I wrote down, Queen Amidala <laughs> is still the love of my life. So, seven-year-old me is still very alive and strong. Because yeah. that first shot of her is just, it's awesome. she You immediately like wonder who the character is as far as, you know, we know she's the queen through the dialogue and right. everything. But who is she really? And then my very next note is just simple and plainly
1: oh jar jar (laughs) oh jar jar okay so i did want to talk about jar jar so i really (sighs) i don't hate jar jar and i really tried to put myself in the shoes of somebody who hates jar jar now don't get me wrong i don't he's not one of my favorite characters and i do find him annoying but i i just can't hate him and i think something that's really helps me not hate him is the fact that everyone in the film is annoyed by him it's not like like he obviously is an annoying character it's not like they're treating him with like the respect they would give obi-wan you know right and i think that that's just a little more real like in life there are people who are going to annoy you there are people who are going to do stupid things so i don't know i just can't find myself hating jar jar But six year old Elijah loves Jar Jar. Six year old Elijah did love Jar Jar. I'm not going to lie. 23 year old Elijah can see why people hated him, but I just can't. I can't do it. So,
0: uh, in that scene where we're meeting Jar Jar for the first time and everything, you know, they're running through the woods, uh, trying to get away from battle droids and everything. And it was really, I guess, the first time I noticed it in the movie. But, you know, they destroyed those two. droids chasing obi-wan through the forest yes yeah and qui-gon uh deflects the lasers back at him and one of them crashes and goes down into the forest you know what i'm talking about yes yeah and uh i i don't know what it was about that part but i really noticed the audio was just so cool like the way they made the crash sound in the forest like it sounded you know like it was rolling down a hill and it was just masterful it was the first time in the movie i really went wow the sound in this movie is just amazing.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. Like, in terms of, I mean, the music score is amazing. And I think that gets a lot of a lot of love from fans. Of course. But there's just the overall sound design, the sound effects, the foley, it's just so good. Like, you can tell a lot of care and effort went into creating the sound for this film. And, I mean, all of the Star Wars films. right. I
0: mean, you and I have a different appreciation for you know audio and visual because you you do it yourself, and then you know my right. brother is an audio tech. He went to college for it and has a degree in um, audio engineering and sound engineer. So he really made me you know start to appreciate you know music and how sounds affect things and make you feel different things. So that's that's why I started noticing stuff like that, and not just Star Wars, but all movies.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's. It's just amazing how much effort the uh, sound design team goes to to create these sounds. Right. So my
0: next note here is, once again, we get to see lovely young (laughs) Badawan Obi-Wan, and they're talking to Jar Jar, and he's like, oh, I can take you to the Gungan City. Let's just go. Everybody's like, okay. But uh, Jar Jar warns him, he's like, You know, I've been banished, so they're not really going to be happy to see us. And Obi-Wan, again, with his great lines, whoever, like, whatever idea was going through George Lucas's head when he was like, ah, yes, young Obi-Wan, I shall make him so sarcastic all of the time. So sassy. So sassy, but you don't really notice it all the time. So Obi-Wan has this great line right then. He says, oh, don't worry, this hasn't really been our day for warm welcomes. (laughs) I'm just like...
1: Eh. It's so good. Again, it's just like, there's my boy. There's my Obi-Wan. And I think it's really good character development because while Obi-Wan throughout uh, the prequel trilogy does become more mature, he still holds on to that sassy self.
0: Right. And it's, it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite things about him. So next, like we were talking about, just the wonderful audio and visual of this movie, we get to see the Gungan City... For the first time. Tell me tell me your thoughts and feelings about. Just that super crazy underwater world.
1: Okay. I actually. This was in my notes. I really did want to talk about Gungan City. And just the ocean in general. <laughs> of Naboo. And the creatures that are in it. Again like we talked about. In the last podcast. This film was created in. 1999. When CGI was. In it's infancy. You know, most films didn't use CGI and even if they did, it was just very little. It wasn't uh, relied this...
0: upon as heavily as this movie is what you're saying.
1: Right. And so that's something to take in mind. Um uh, this film was absolutely revolutionary with its graphics and you can definitely tell. Like I was watching it and I was like, "Uh yeah, that's not the best." But again, you can't look at it with 2020 standards. So that being said, I absolutely loved um, the Gungan City. Like, it was just so beautiful, and something I really wished is that we could have gotten to see a little more of it. Like, we saw where they came in, and we saw uh, the big bosses. That's chamber. That's so
0: funny that you say that, because a couple notes down, whenever they leave Gungan City, I have written down, Man, I really wish I could have seen more of Gungan City
1: right it's just so unique um i love that it's like a bunch of spheres that are connected together it's not like maybe like atlantis that we've seen in several movies where it's like a big dome and then like a normal city underneath right i mean it may have like a sea aesthetic but it still looks like a normal city um and i think maybe uh aquaman the newest aquaman Might have been a little more unique. I can't really remember it. But in, like, older films where we've seen Atlantis or underwater cities. Um, So I just really loved it because it was so unique. Right. And, like, the whole, like, I don't know, like, shield,
0: like, generator. Like, the way they get into the city, you know? The, like, Mm -hmm. jelly wall thing. I didn't notice it. But uh whenever Qui-Gon and Obi Wan go through, Qui-Gon just goes through like it's kinda like normal, like he's done it before, and you see Obi-Wan and he's just like going through it and then he looks back at it like what was that weird jelly wall?
1: <laughs> right? It looked a little gross, like unique and cool, but also a little gross. What was it he's it's probably slimy, like Nuke Gunray. Yeah. Okay, and to to backtrack just a little bit, something else I thought about Was just how, like, even though they're Jedi, how annoying it must have been to swim to their city in their Jedi robes. Right?
0: Why wouldn't they take off the robes?
1: (laughs) Exactly. Like, I just feel bad for them. Like, I know they're Jedi and they have enhanced strength and reflexes, but it still must have been annoying.
0: Right? Have you ever, like, tried to swim in, like, clothes before? I, I have. It's horrible. It's not fun. You feel like you're being strangled the whole time.
1: So shout out A, to all the strong Jedi out there. Right. Especially especially like loose clothing. Clothes that when you're swimming in that are tighter and they kind of cling to your body. Okay, that's one thing. But robes are incredibly loose, so there's no way that was clinging to them. And their Jedi cloaks are so heavy. Right? Anyway, sorry, let's let's get back on track. I just I just felt bad for them. No.
0: It it would be difficult. So I wanna point out earlier, you said you watched it on Disney Plus, right? Yes. Okay, see I was gonna watch it on there and I tried to, but my internet was being kinda spotty, so Disney Plus wasn't really working. But luckily, like any good Star Wars fans, I of course have my DVD copies. Of course. So I, I popped my nice Blu-ray in. And did did you think that the Disney Plus version looked like sharper or anything because my Blu-ray definitely does because you know I have the VHS version like ingrained into my memory.
1: Yes, I'm sure I'm sure compared to the VHS version it probably is a little sharper. But that actually kind of segues into something I did want to talk about. How would you feel if we got a remastered edition of the prequels, where they basically just go in and clean up the CGI.
0: I mean, they've kind of already done that. Like with the Blu-ray, you can definitely tell a lot of things are different, and I'm sure on Disney yeah. Plus they are a lot too. I I don't really mind it. I have notes about that later as well, and uh, you know, it's not really that big a deal to me. I I am happy that I have different versions of it so that I can I can see those differences because you know some days maybe I do want to watch the original you know uh, VHS version and watch it that way yeah
1: yeah no definitely um, and honestly I don't really care either but I know it's such it's such a big problem with a lot of fans like they just they hate the CGI now I I don't I actually thought it was pretty good for 1999 right um but i don't know just something i was thinking about okay so how much do you love the bigger fish line so much so much and something i realized was there's i guess i'd forgotten there were two different times where bigger fish came and saved them while they were underwater yeah it happens twice yeah, I I'd completely forgot about it. So the first time I was like, "Hey, there's the line." And then like the longer fish was chasing them. And I I was just sitting there. I was like, "I can't remember how they get out of this." And then of course, the fish comes back, eats the longer fish, and they're safe. And I was like, "Of course it happens twice. Of course."
0: Yeah, that the uh the longer fish, the one that glows. Yeah. That's called like a a colo Fish or something? I forget. I'm probably butchering it. But I didn't know this. It's an interesting tie-in. Uh, in Solo, uh, Dryden Boss, the you know crime syndicate boss guy, yeah, he offers Han and all of them uh, colo fish claws or something. Oh, and it's okay. Yeah, it's food that you get from that fish in Episode One.
1: The one that glows what, and has the giant fangs. What an amazing little reference. I love that so much. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Uh, let's see, see. Okay. So that, that's something I want to talk about. With with sequels, and I feel like it's that's one way that sequels can really truly truly succeed is by filling in little references like that. Right. Like not making it a huge major plot point, but just something enough for the fans to be like, "Oh my gosh, that's the same fish." You know it the more of those little references, those like background references there are, the more it connects the films.
0: right. It makes them stronger and just more fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it, it helps make them feel like they are the same universe.
0: Exactly. So, did you ever notice that in that scene, whenever they're running away from the the last fish, uh, Qui-Gon makes Jar Jar
1: pass out? I didn't. Are you serious? Yeah. Uh I'm so mad I missed that. I'm going to have to go back and watch it.
0: Yeah, he does like some pressure point thing on Jar Jar's shoulder, and then Jar Jar just blacks out.
1: That's so funny. I'm sure that there were a lot of fans sitting out there saying, I wish... They would do that to Jar Jar again.
0: Yeah, because uh, Qui-Gon does it, and then Obi-Wan immediately says, "What? Well, I, I think you overdid it. So.
1: Oh, that's what he means. I heard that line, and I was like, "What? It... I literally was sitting there like, what is Obi-Wan talking about? Okay, yeah, that makes sense.
0: So moving forward, as they're going up, finally getting out from the planet core, we get this shot of Queen Amidala staring out of the window at the Naboo Palace at the evasion coming in. Right. And to me, it was such a great shot because there's no need for dialogue, no need to tell us what's really going on. It's just her staring out this window at the droids just pouring into her city, and you can just feel how sad she is. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's one of those amazing scenes in Star Wars where you need no dialogue. Dialogue would actually make it worse.
1: Exactly. Show, don't tell.
0: Exactly. And then, have you noticed how close together they put um, Padme and the decoy throughout the whole movie?
1: Yes, yes. And so, I think... The reason that is is so that just like we see later in the film where the decoy is talking to the Gungan big boss, and then she steps out and like, I'm actually the queen. I'm pretty sure it's so that she can step in if she really needs to. Right. I Um, just thought it was
0: cool how they show us that the entire movie. They're like, it's right here. The answer's right here. It's right there. And you don't know it. (laughs) Ha, ha,
1: ha. Man, I don't remember. I really don't remember how I felt the first time that – I found out that it, Padme was the actual queen, but I really wish I did because that's such an interesting twist. Like, yeah, it's not as obviously, it's not a, as big a twist as like the Darth Vader being Luke's father.
0: <gasps> Elijah's <please>. But, oh, <laughs>
1: well, sorry. Um, if you're not watching any of these films and just listening to us talking about it for the first time, I am so sorry. But, I do still think it's it's a really interesting twist.
0: I do too. Which. It gives. This movie gives so many great lines. And it's the part where they're, Qui-Gon just rescued the Queen and all of them. And he's taking them through the Hangar Bay. And he talks to the, the Captain Battle Droid. And he's like, Halt, where are you going? And he tells him, Well, I'm taking the Coruscant. And the Droid finally figures out that he can't take these people anywhere and he just goes, wait, <laughs> you're under arrest.
1: <laughs> I know. It takes him so long. He's probably he was probably just like, okay, we've captured the city. We're in charge. No one's fighting back at this point. It probably... I think... Uh, I can't remember what he said exactly, but he says, does not... Something like, does not compute. Like, he says that... A yeah, he's before. like, wait, he's that like, doesn't wait. add up. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I really love that because... It gave the droids personality. They weren't just these, like, mindless creatures. Or not creatures, but mindless droids. Yeah. 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 Which I think we really get to see a lot in the Clone Wars series. Right. But you can still see that in the prequel trilogy. I agree. I just, I love it. Just, wait, you're under arrest. (laughs) Oh, and he got... He should have just backed up. He should (laughs) have... He should have just backed up. He had no idea what was coming. No, he didn't. Poor guy. R.I.P. Uh, my next note I have here is just
0: a simple R two with a uh, exclamation point. So now, now we're at the point in the movie where they just left Tatooine. They're in the um, uh, Padme's ship, the big silver yeah. one, the Nubian. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I was very excited to see R two. So.
1: I was too. It just made my heart so happy. It is. And
0: then I have John Williams is the man because the score while they're flying trying to get out of the blockade, the music right there is just awesome.
1: It's so good. John Williams uh just did such an amazing job with all of the sa- all of the soundtracks, but episode 1 is definitely like top two for me i don't know like just overall not talking not talking about like specific songs but the overall soundtrack for the entire film i would say it's either my first or second favorite
0: i would have to agree as well
1: yeah which i mean duel of the fates i was about i, was- I have that note later i have that <laughs> i know note later. i know i know i don't want to talk about it yet but oh do i have some stuff to say <laughs> we will get there?
0: Uh next we get to see Darth Maul for
1: the f- first time.
0: Yeah, I guess that is the first time in the in the hologram.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh where he appears beh- behind Darth Sidious. I just wrote down Darth Maul. Scary. <laughs> scary. He he was, man. He still is. Aesthetically, he is my favorite looking sith. Really? Yeah, I don't know if he's my favorite sith, but the actual like how he looks, right. I feel like really gives off that scary intimidating vibe.
0: Right. Well, the whole if you don't know the backstory of how the Darth Maul character was created, definitely
1: go look it up. It's it's a cool story. It's really interesting. Yeah, I I think I found out about it maybe a year ago, and I was just like, okay, all right. I see that.
0: So now they've gotten through the blockade, and we get to see Tatooine. We've come home.
1: We've come home.
0: Which uh, I, I think Tatooine's awesome, but the part that I love about it was the people... All the extras in the background of Tatooine when they first walk into the city. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, I see all the different people, and I immediately wonder, okay, well, who's this character, and where are they going today, and what are they doing? Right. it.
1: There's a lot to see.
0: There is. It, it's like down every avenue of the busy, busy spaceport. You just get interested looking at everything and wondering who all these different people are.
1: Yeah, what what brought them to this little... Uh, I'd say backwater, but we know there's no water on the planet, so... And we've said it this entire time, and in the last podcast,
0: but seeing Watto for the first time, how cool was that?
1: Oh my gosh, that guy, that little... <sighs> I love him and I hate him. Like I think he's a really great character, but he just he just makes me angry. Just makes me angry. Right, but visually, like all of
0: his expressions, his face. The thing that always caught me the most about Watto was the way that he got all the uh stubble on his face. Okay.
1: <laughs> I literally I literally was about to say the same thing. I literally like I was I was waiting for you to finish talking and then I was going to be like I think what stuck out the most to me was his facial hair, the little stubble.
0: Right, but how amazing is that, though? Like, that's a completely computer generated character. Right. Like, they, it wasn't like um, Jar Jar, you know, where they had uh, Ahmad Best, you know, actually doing all the movements and everything, and then they did the mocap for uh, his head. Like, Wado right. was completely fake.
1: Yeah, and I really, I really love that. And again, 1999, completely revolutionary. Right. Which, now that we're kind of talking about, we've mentioned Ahmad. I just want to say real quick, Ahmad, if you ever hear this podcast, for some reason, we love you, okay? You were an amazing actor, you did a fantastic job, and you did not deserve how the, how the Fandom treated you.
0: Six year old me still loves Ahmad. And 22 year old me still loves Ahmad, so. Exactly. Okay, a big plot point here. We finally get to see the meeting of the Starcross lovers.
1: <laughs> the Starcross lovers. Okay, so it. I. Obviously, I don't remember. Back to when Episode One first came out. Between Episode One and Episode Two, there was a lot of unknowns. I wonder—something I want to look into at some point—is how fans really reacted. Like, did people think that Anakin and Padme might get together again? Might get together one day? Like, there was such a large age difference. I'm sure they didn't. Well, like, have... I'm sure there were fans that thought maybe, but right. I have written down what nine year old wouldn't love Padme. True. That is true.
0: I mean, the kid is smooth. First thing he says (laughs) to the girl is, Are you
1: an angel? Like, are you an angel? What a mad lad. I'm 23 and I can't talk. I can't even talk to girls like that.
0: Honestly, for a nine year old, he is the Mac daddy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Which, that scene gives us another great line. Which is, of course, the Yippee line.
1: Yippee! <laughs>
0: which, Uh-oh. I didn't notice it until, like, all the way through the movie, but Yippee is said, no joke, about six times in this whole movie.
1: Oh, I didn't notice that. I'll have to go through and watch that. I just noticed it that that time.
0: Yeah, a bunch of the kid characters, while they're on Tatooine, oh. say it
1: yes okay i thought we were talking about specifically anakin no i did notice other kids saying it so okay i know um the actor you know Jake Lloyd. one gets yes he gets a lot of slack for it and of course it's a lot of slack for the dialogue but if it's something that the kids are saying it's probably just like Tatooine little kid slang well i mean it's just little kid stuff in general i mean I was weird as a little kid. I I still say weird stuff. I'm weird now. <laughs> oh, yes. Me too. And I've said a lot of weird things. I don't know if I've ever said yippee. Um, I feel like – so I've thought about saying yippee like when I was younger. But I, I've always had really bad anxiety, and for some reason that was just one thing. I was like, no, can't say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's an odd phrase. It's an odd expression is, of joy. It's a little odd. But you know, I think Jake Lloyd and Anakin should get a little slack if they, if all the other kids are saying it too. Hey,
0: maybe in a galaxy far, far away, a long, long time ago, it was normal for kids on Tatooine to say yippee. <laughs> that's that's exactly that's what I'm saying. So, we get to meet C-3PO for the first time, and he's naked.
1: And he's naked, poor guy. Okay, so how do you feel about the fact that Anakin Skywalker made C-3PO? I
0: like it. I think it makes sense.
1: I do, too. Um, And, of course, we learn later that C-3PO doesn't remember any of it because his memory got wiped, but I do know that is something a lot of fans don't like.
0: Really? Why is that?
1: Uh, Just because... I mean, at this point, Anakin is nine, and they feel like it's unrealistic for a nine-year-old to be able to make a droid. And I mean, yes, okay, if it if it were on Earth, I would completely agree. But we got to remember, this is literally a different a different galaxy. Technology is in a completely different place, and Anakin literally is working with around droids every day. That he's special. Yeah, exactly. It's not like they just took some random kid. From, like, I don't know, Coruscant, who has been waited on hand and foot. I'm not saying all the kids from Coruscant on, but, like, a rich kid from Coruscant who's never really done anything his entire life, and they're like, okay, make a droid, and he does, you know? Anakin does this every day.
0: Right, they've already somewhat established in the story that Anakin is is good at working with mechanics and droids and things of that nature. So, I don't think it's far-fetched that he built 3PO.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I don't either. So, I have to point it out, because we get
0: to see it a lot in the movie. How much do you still wish that you had Qui-Gon's communicator that he and Obi-Wan use?
1: Oh, so much. So much. I mean, don't get me wrong, I do like my cell phone, but it would be nice to have one. The
0: communicator's
1: so much cooler, right? Exactly. Which I don't know if you remember this,
0: but they had like the the toy version, which was like huge. It was like this yeah. giant thing. It, it wasn't as small as in the movie, but they had these little uh, like chips. They were like rectangular, small, and. They had, like, different characters' voices and lines on them, and if you put it on the communicator, it would say them. It was a really cool toy.
1: I never got to have one of those, but I wish I did. That sounds really cool. Well, you know,
0: Christmas is right around the corner, Mother Goose. Oh, Christmas is right
1: around the corner.
0: And I I feel like maybe I could find one of those for you on eBay.
1: Oh, probably. Ah, but you don't have to do that. I could. For you, I would. That just warms my heart. I still have, okay, I still have the Bib Fortuna pop figure and the C-3PO canvas and the Boba Fett mug that you gave me, which I just want to point out that I have the C-3PO canvas hanging up in my room, and it freaks my sister out every time she goes in there. Like, she literally asks me why do you have that thing hanging on your wall? It's so creepy.
0: To know that C-3PO is watching over you at all times. Much like Santa Claus.
1: <laughs> much like Santa Claus. Uh, so I got
0: a big big point here. It's uh, Anakin and Qui-Gon and Padme and Jar Jar are at the home of the Skywalkers. And Padme is shocked to find out that there's still slavery in the galaxy.
1: Right. Right. So... I feel like that should be, like, number one on the Jedi's agenda, <laughs> which—so it's established, Padme says it, that slavery is banned in the Republic. But obviously, uh, she, Shmi Skywalker, says, you know, the Republic has no hold here. Right. And I think that really shows just how under the under control the Jedi are of the Republic— I completely stand by the fact that the Jedi at this point are unbalanced. They aren't truly serving the Force like they're supposed to. I would agree. And that that's that's one big thing is they're kind of just sitting by and letting slavery happen. But it's because the Outer Rim, you know, the Republic doesn't really care. And so if the Republic doesn't care, the Jedi don't care.
0: Well, I don't know if I go as far as saying that. Okay, the you're right. The Jedi and the Republic
1: little... <laughs> are... Two
0: completely different things, and that's the whole, like, downfall of the Jedi, which we'll get into that way more in episode three. Oh, yes. I I gotta stop myself or else I'm gonna go on this whole (laughs) long
1: spiel, and it's just gonna get ugly, so... Me, too. And maybe I was a little harsh there on the Jedi, but I do feel like that's one area that they're really failing is, you know, just their loyalty to the Republic. I agree. So
0: I have written down... Shmi for Mother of the Year. Shmi for Mother of the Year. I agree. She's she's probably like the galaxy's coolest mom. Oh yeah, without a doubt. So, what do you think about the scene uh, coming up next? Where Qui-Gon, they decide to enter Anakin into the pod race. So Qui-Gon goes to see Watto again. And I never really noticed this, but Watto uh excuse me Qui-Gon convinces Watto to put up the front money for the
1: race right yes okay yeah so I did notice that but it wasn't something it wasn't something I really like put a lot of thought into but now that you pointed out yeah I mean Shmi says early on the only thing they really care about Is gambling on these races. So I think Qui Gon was able to take that information and use it against Watto. Right,
0: because Qui Gon goes in there with this whole
1: plan, and it's honestly genius. And I don't
0: know how I never noticed it before, but at first he tells Watto, Well, I've decided to enter the race. I just found a pod racer, I just acquired it somehow through a game of chance. And um, if you let me use Anakin, you know, I'll put my ship up as collateral. To enter the race, and you let me borrow Anakin, and you know, you can have the money, but I get to keep what I need for the parts. And right. they go into that whole discussion, and then eventually Qui Gon just talks Watto into putting up the front money, and Qui Gon wagers his ship. It- it's so smart because at that point in time, you know, they've realized that they don't have any money, that Republic credits are no good on this planet. So Qui-Gon devises his whole plan. And Watto just goes with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and I think that really stands to testament on just how amazing Qui-Gon was. Like, not only was he a skilled fighter and force user, he was just a smart person in general. Right, but in
0: that way that's like, so unnoticeable like it's because he's so quiet and reserved you don't really expect that he'd be really you know like sneaky and i I wouldn't say deceitful but like he knows how to talk you into things without you realizing it
1: right right exactly it's it's amazing
0: i love qui-gon
1: i do too and his his death like i will say it needed to happen it was fundamental for the story But man, do I wish he lived. Well, we get him back later. We do. We do.
0: So, with their journey to Tatooine, we find out that Anakin had no father. And thus begins the story of the prophecy.
1: The prodigal son.
0: It does. We finally get that tidbit. Which I also want to point out uh, that that night, whenever Qui Gon sends Obi Wan the midichlorian count of Anakin, I I don't know if I ever really noticed it before, but you get to see this like really great moment between Anakin and Qui Gon, where Qui Gon's explaining uh just some things to him in the galaxy, and you get like this father son type moment between them.
1: Right. Okay. So. I, I did want to talk about that because in the last episode we talked about how Obi-Wan really – he's kind of on that line of am I a father figure or am I a brother to Anakin? Right. And that's exactly because Qui-Gon was supposed to be that father figure. He was supposed to be the one to take care of Anakin. I think you could kind of compare it to maybe two actual siblings who are – have a pretty good age difference and like – the parents die, and it's up to the older sibling to take care of the um, the younger sibling. Kind of like, and I know this is a completely different genre. And Are you going to say the outsiders? No, I was actually going to say Lilo and Stitch.
0: Oh, oh that's a great comparison.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Lilo's older sister, it's, oh, what's her name? Nani. Na- Nani, yes. Okay, I mean, she's kind of in the exact situation that Obi-Wan is where she's got to be the parent. But she's really the sibling and she wasn't, you know, that's not really her purpose or she shouldn't have been put in that position. And you could argue that Obi-Wan, I mean, he becomes a Jedi Knight. He passes the trials. But he should have been more like a brother. Anyway, I just went on a long tangent and I said the same thing like five times, but you know what I'm saying. That's all right. So,
0: yeah. Uh, in, like, the next couple scenes, we get to see Maul again, whenever he lands on Tatooine. And I never noticed Mm -hmm. this, uh, but it even happens whenever we first see Maul in the holograms. Um, every time Maul is on screen, for most of the movie, you get these, uh, whispers in the background. Did you notice those? Like, these really dark, sinister whispers, along with his, uh,
1: theme music. A little bit, yes. Um... I don't think I caught on to the fact that it was every time he was on screen, but yeah. Yeah, now that you pointed it out, I definitely noticed. I just thought that
0: was really interesting to me.
1: Yeah. So,
0: you know, it's one of those, again, audio cues that we get that, hey, this guy is really bad.
1: This guy is not to be messed with. Which, okay, I know that it was really important to save queen amidala and to get her to coruscant but man i just can't help but wonder if if qui-gon had stood his ground on tatooine with obi-wan there could they have beaten maul and just ended it there just stopped him in his tracks now again obviously i understand that their mission wasn't to beat him their mission was to get her to coruscant and that's what they're focusing on. But, you know, if they fought him there, they never would have got separated.
0: <laughs> well, that's interesting that you're bringing up, you know, the- what-if theories because I have one. Okay. And it's where Qui-Gon makes the second bet with Watto in the little pod okay. racing hangar before the race. And- and, right, right. What if Qui-Gon didn't interfere with their little chance cube game? Because he uses the force to make the cube turn to blue for Anakin. Okay. What if he hadn't have used the force and Shmi was the one freed? We don't have to dive into the rabbit hole right now, but I just wanted <laughs> I, it was just a thought, so I wrote it down.
1: Wow. Okay, that's really interesting. So I actually have um something I really wanted to talk about was maybe not in this episode, but at some point is, you know, Marvel is starting their animated What If series. Right. I would really love to see Star Wars do something similar where they explore ideas like that. That, that would be really cool. We, cause yeah. I'm sure we're not the first people to think of these things. Oh, yeah, probably not.
0: So now we're getting closer to my favorite, well, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, the pod
1: race. Oh, good. Okay, I was about to be like, because we we kind of jumped, we kind of jumped over the pod pod race to talk about Maul. I was about to be like, no, we can't, we can't skip the pod racing.
0: No, I, I've got it all here. So, oh, good. Now we're moving into the into those notes. Um, did you ever notice that in that dialogue before the race uh, with Kitster, the other uh, kid that's always hanging around Anakin, his best friend, uh, he mentions that maybe Annie will finish the race this time. Yes. So not only right. has this little boy never won a race, he's never even finished one. <laughs> finished.
1: I know, I know. Qui-Gon put a lot, a lot on the table. I thought that was... someone... Insane. <laughs> Me too. I, I did too. I thought it was really funny. um, And just interesting. And I think it really adds a lot of depth to his victory at the end right so what do you
0: think about the uh the commentators for the pod race because honestly i think they really make the scene flow so easily and it is like you're watching uh obviously pod racing is kind of like you know a nascar race or a formula one probably a lot closer to formula one with the way the pods work and how formula one cars work but you know, with that idea that he had in mind, uh, the commentators just make, like I said, f- it flow so seamlessly, where you don't even notice they're there, but yet you feel like you're watching uh, a sport, which it is on this planet. So I don't know. For me, they make that scene
1: work probably the best. I I completely agree. I think, I mean, obviously we are watching a film and not an actual race. But we've got to look at it as if it was an actual race. The, uh, the people who are actually watching, it'd literally just be them sitting there watching these, in a real race, cars or these pod racers, just going in circles. And eventually that's going to get a little boring. So the announcers really just help add suspense to the race. They right. help add like enjoyment and, like you said, it just keeps the flow going. Just like
0: a race in real life. Right. So, with this pod race, uh, we get to see Jabba the Hutt again. Oh, Jabba. So, yeah. I, I, wrote, I wrote down in my notes, I said, who is this Jabba?
1: <laughs> because he, he does not look like the Jabba we know, which is fine. I'm just picking at the movie a little bit. So, I think something to keep in mind is that this is... There's... What a almost forty year difference. And while the huts, while the huts have a much longer lifespan than humans do, that's still a pretty significant chunk of chunk of time. This is this is a younger Jabba, and I think you know he was CG compared to the monstrosity of a contraption they had to make for Jabba in the original trilogy.
0: But awesome.
1: But awesome, yes. I do
0: absolutely love it. So, did you notice in that scene where we uh, see Jabba, of course we see uh, Bib Fortuna right. next to him. Which, he, it, if you don't know character names and you're not so in-depth Star Wars like we get, Bib Fortuna is the white alien with the weird tendril coming off his head that wraps around his neck that you see in Return of the Jedi that talks to him. That's the... Uh, uh, translator, kind of, for Jabba? Yeah. But also in that scene, if you look um, to the right, so stage right, or if you were in Jabba's perspective, to his left, there's a female alien character that's wearing the um, the
1: Slave Leia costume, but it's just painted differently. Did you notice that? I didn't. I, okay, The in terms of the background, I always end up looking at the hut that's sitting behind Jabba.
0: Right, his wife? Isn't that supposed
1: to be his wife? I think so, yeah. Um, I didn't notice that. Again, something I'll have to go back and look for.
0: When you know me, I'm just out here bringing up all the details. All the details. I'm here for you. Thank you. Again, we go back to sound. Uh, The pod racer sounds so cool. Just that initial scene where they're starting up and getting ready for the race and how each of them sounds so different. You know, Anakin's right. is like, it has the mixture of like a street bike mixed in with yeah. like a jet. And then of course you have Sabulba's unmistakable pod racer, you know, just that deep, just, you know, just chugging, just like, it,
1: it's so cool. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely love it. And so that's something, okay. Something I just wanted to ask. How would you feel about a pod racing series? A series just based on pod racing.
0: I it it would be Star Wars, so of course I would watch it, but I I don't know how like they'd have to do a lot of character building for it to be a really watched
1: Good. show. Right. So um something Uh, that kind of made me start thinking about it is they talk about pod racing when they're at the Skywalker's house and I can't remember what planet it it is but Qui-Gon mentions that it also has pod racing so pod racing isn't specifically a Tatooine thing so it's something that's happening maybe in a couple other planets or maybe all over the galaxy it's all over the galaxy and the planet's name you're looking for is called Malastare got it okay yeah
0: you're welcome
1: so i think it would be really interesting because you know obviously on tatooine we just see the one racetrack but it could become something more of a you know maybe traveling throughout the galaxy kind of on a grand prix style race yeah it doesn't have to be long of course there's
0: the awesome old um star wars pod racer game which just got re-released on the switch and i i bought I it and i played it and it was a lot of fun it was just like playing it back um whenever i was a kid on the nintendo 64 and I, I thought it was a lot of fun they they didn't really do anything to it it was basically just a port over but right it still had all the fun that i remember it having whenever i was young
1: yeah so i actually haven't got to play that yet but i it's definitely on my list i want to play it here pretty soon
0: I would recommend it to you. So I have two uh, two character notes here. Uh, did you okay. notice, and uh, it's again before the pod race starts or it's when the pod race starts, uh, we get a cameo from Warwick Davis, the man who played Wicket in the original trilogy in Return of the Jedi. Ah, I didn't notice. Yep, he's in there, which he plays a. a okay. He's usually he does cameo in quite a few of the movies. Right,
1: right. He's in. A, I know. I know. We've talked about that a couple times. He's
0: in Rogue One, as himself. Right, and he's also in Solo as himself.
1: God, yes, yes. Okay, so talking about cameos, how do you feel about Baby Greedo? Uh,
0: technically, that's only a deleted scene, my friend.
1: Technically, it is a deleted scene, but... But if that's it, part I of mean... your
0: canon, then it's part of your canon. Because I think it's cool, too.
1: Okay, it's a part of my canon, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, what's the harm in seeing Greedo as a kid? Like, I never understood why people didn't like that. Alright, uh, I think it... Like we talked about earlier, you know, with how some...
0: Little notes of callbacks to other things enhance the movie. I think maybe they thought maybe that was a little bit too much, you know what I mean? Okay, yeah, I could see that. But who? Kn- I would have left it in. I think it's cool.
1: No, I definitely would have left it in as well. I think it's a great little Easter egg. I did too. So, my, I'm
0: glad you said Easter egg. The uh, second cameo that we have is of aura Singh, the bounty hunter she's sitting on the um, one of the service ramps watching the pod race go down
1: interesting again i didn't notice yep. i'm you're gonna have to send me your notes i have got to i've got to watch through this again and just look for all of these things
0: well good luck trying to decipher my notes they're written by a madman <laughs>
1: Uh, I think, I feel like I've known you long enough. I could probably, I could probably at least understand the basics.
0: So how bad do you feel for the, uh, one of the people racing in the pod race, Ben Quajaneros, who's the the poor little alien who gets stalled with Anakin at the very beginning. And then I think it's during lap two, his racer finally... (laughs) <laughs> starts back up, but his power couplings go out and his engines just blow up and go everywhere.
1: <laughs> yep. Oh, that poor guy. I felt so bad for him. Like, I mean, obviously you feel bad for little Annie when his isn't starting, but I mean he has a good comeback, you know? But Right, but Ben Quaginero, guy... he just has nothing. <laughs> it's It's over, that's all. Right. So...
0: One thing I just thought was funny is in the race, was Sebulba just throwing the the little, like, wrench tool thing out of nowhere? Like, he he just has it in his little cockpit, and he's just like, oh, time to throw a wrench. (laughs) Time to throw a wrench.
1: How many, and I mean, he, that man throws it with confidence. How many people has he stopped using this technique? Oh, yeah, like,
0: th- he doesn't, I don't even think he looks behind him. Well, he looks behind to make sure that there's somebody behind him, and then he just yeets the wrench over his
1: shoulder, <laughs> like, "Well, if this works, it works. If it works, it works. Uh, I mean, it's stated that he's never lost a race early on. Or that he always and, wins. Right. And... Also, the fact that he likes to cheat, so.
0: Right, but that guy. just the whole wrench over the shoulder thing, it, I don't know. I just thought it was hilarious.
1: I I do too, and I just think that scene has so much suspense behind it. I mean, people are literally, they're crashing. I'm sure a lot of them died. Um, no, I think all of the know, racers died besides Saboba and Anakin. So. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think so. Um, but I mean, then we also have Annie's, uh, pod racer not starting. We see, um, uh, the Tuscan Raiders literally shooting at them. Like there's just so much suspense behind it and it just makes Annie's victory so much more satisfying.
0: Right. Well, George Lucas created the scene to be the precipice of the movie, which is strange because yeah. the pod race is about halfway through.
1: Right. And it, Honestly, I mean, it's a longer scene, but once it's over, it's over. It's not really mentioned to again. Right, but I I know originally because of course I'm a nerd.
0: Uh you know, I of watch course. all the commentaries and the specials about the movies and everything. Originally the pod race scene was supposed to be like I think 30 minutes,
1: like something ridiculous. Where are we going to get George Lucas? When are we getting the director's cut? When is it coming out? Oh, I man. need more pod racing.
0: It would be legendary.
1: Maybe, it really would maybe be. Maybe they'll finally make your pod
0: racing series that you want so badly.
1: I, I, I genuinely do want this series. Like, I don't want it to be like a long-running series. Just maybe like one one shorter season, maybe two short seasons at most. I just want more pod racing. It makes me so sad that it's never really shown again in the series.
0: But I think it also makes it special.
1: That is true. You don't you don't want too much of a good thing, you know? Right. And that's why I want it to be kind of a shorter series, just so we get a little more of it, but not, not to the point where it's overdone and everyone's just like, oh, pod racing, w- whatever, you know? Right. So,
0: honestly, I don't have a lot of notes on the pod racing scene. That's all my pod racing notes, because it's, like we've said, an amazing scene, so... For most of that part, I was just watching.
1: Yeah, me too. I th- Okay, I think it's funny because I literally just had the one note of the pod racing series, and you had a couple notes, but we still spent so much time talking about it. Well, that's because it's awesome. It is awesome, and it deserves time.
0: It does. Just like how awesome is it that Sebulba can just – Yeet wrenches and
1: kill people. <laughs> Yeet wrenches, exactly. Okay, so um, following... Okay, so we've already talked about Darth Maul. So they're on the ship on the way to Coruscant next. Right, I have a note uh, about that as well. Okay, something I wanted to talk about is... One complaint I see about this movie is they talk about... Um, Actually, that hasn't happened
0: yet. There's a lot of stuff that happens after the pod race and them leaving.
1: Okay, yes. So I'll I'll put my note aside. Do you have any notes between between the Padre scene and um uh, Darth Maul attacking? I
0: actually have just very few little ones that won't take long actually. Okay.
1: Uh, yeah, sorry to kind of jump all your notes. What what do you have? No, it's okay. Um
0: again, another Obi-Wan scene that I love whenever Qui-Gon gets back to the ship before he goes back for Anakin. Qu- er, Obi Wan mentions, Why do I have the sense that we picked up another pathetic life form? <laughs> I know! I know! I was like, Obi Wan, you have no idea. <laughs> right, and then, of course, Anakin gets freed and everything, so this is kind of a big note, but it, it won't take us long to get to seeing our, our beautiful Darth Maul soon. Um, Anakin mentions, I don't like change. And then I have written down with
1: stars and an exclamation point, red flag, red flag. Red flag. Right. I don't know. It's hard because you got to remember he is just a little kid. At this point, there hasn't really been much change in his life. Right. You know, I mean, we can look at it as a perspective of, you know, we're we're in our early 20s. We've had a lot of change.
0: I still don't like change
1: i i don't either you know but i think we've kind of got to the point where like okay that's a part of life um but annie's still just nine at this point but it is
0: foreshadowing that this is going to be one of the hardest things that he has to face in his life
1: oh no definitely and um, when he's talking to his mother and he asks her will I ever see you again? And I was like, not really. I literally out loud said, not really. Well, I have a note about that as well,
0: because right after that, he says that he'll come back and free her. And I say, Anakin tends to make promises to people he loves, but he can't ever really get the opportunity for, to uh, fulfill them.
1: Right, right. Because, I mean, I mean, we'll talk about this more in when we get to episode two, but... It's not really his fault that his mother died. No, I'm just saying
0: like, we, we just see that pattern start to form that he makes these life. big promises that he he won't ever get to, to do.
1: Right. And so something kind of along those lines is he says – and I can't remember if this is before or after the Padres. He says that he had a dream that he came back and he freed all the slaves. It's before. Yeah, Okay. And I really, I really feel like he was having a vision and that a vision of what life would have been like if he'd stayed on the light side, like a, a post Clone Wars, but Anakin stayed on the light side vision, if that makes sense. Right. Another pathway. And it very well could have been. Right. Because I mean, think about it. If he, if he hadn't have turned to the dark side, once everything had kind of cleared off, he definitely would have been a Jedi Master. And from there, he would have had the power to go back and actually free the slaves of Tatooine and maybe the slaves everywhere.
0: Eh, Anakin's pretty good, but I don't know if he's that good.
1: Okay, that is... So, maybe I would agree with that if he didn't grow up a slave and if his mother hadn't have died... The way she did but i think because he did grow up a slave and you know he was never able to go back and save his mother the way he promised i do feel like that's something that really would have eaten at him
0: all right so now we're finally to the mall scene we are to the mall scene and i just have one quick note before you can say your things about the mall scene so we see mall drive out of nowhere in the desert why is Darth Maul driving a jazzy? <laughs> uh,
1: he's gotta he's gotta look cool. He's gotta look cool. Why
0: couldn't they have given him a cooler speeder? Like or not speeder, but um Uh what's the right word, Elijah?
1: Hover bike?
0: Yeah, hover bike, whatever. Like yeah You know, we have the uh the ones that the stormtroopers drive. Uh huh the speeder bikes and those are awesome.
1: Why True. why did they give Darth Maul a jazzy? Why would they do him like okay. that? Okay. So this is something I really want to I really do want to talk about. Uh, I think this is a good time to throw it in there. A lot of people are like, "Oh, why why was technology so much better in the prequel trilogies even though they happen, you know, decades before the original trilogy?" They're really not. They technology progresses a lot in the time between the prequels and the relig- original trilogy. And, like, the starships are so much more powerful and the fighters are so much more powerful than what we actually see in the Clone Wars. But because of the fact that the graphics are better, we just assume that the technology is better.
0: Well, that and the galaxy isn't war-torn yet.
1: Exactly. Um, so, uh, like you were saying, the stormtroopers... Speeders were so much cooler, but that was almost four decades in the you know in the future right, so they've had time to um you know get around or to advance. but I will say, I do like his speeder or hover bike a lot more than Rays from yeah, <laughs> the force Awakens yeah i I agree i'll I'll take the jazzy over whatever that
0: thing she is driving.
1: Man, our boy our boy Tuck Tuck, he hated that thing so much because of how square it is. (laughs) Like that's lit he walked out and he was like, Why was it so square? That's what he literally said to me.
0: (laughs) Great. So after we get that whole fight scene with Maul and Qui-Gon, we have the famous Japur snippet necklace that young Annie gives his his future love his future wife which this is episode 3 stuff but you know in the funeral scene she's holding the Japur snippet necklace
1: I know I know and she wears it in that movie a lot yeah yeah um and it's such such an important thing and I actually when I saw that um I I kind of said to myself like I wish we'd seen that at some point in the original trilogy like obviously I know she gets buried with it so we wouldn't but I think that would have been a really cool easter egg if it had been you know just maybe a necklace we saw Leia wear like in one scene at some point right you know No that would have been yeah that would be really cool Um so before we move on I do have a note uh about while they're on the ship so um we see this uh hologram earlier in the film um but Queen Amidala actually watches it again just before they get to Coruscant of her assistant helper, the white-haired guy. I can't remember his name. Uh, I used to know it. <laughs> I, I... I did too. I don't know. I literally told myself to look it up before we started recording, and I forgot. Anyway, but he's saying, you know, they're killing everyone. Please send help. And a lot of fans point to that hologram, and they're like, why didn't they just so- show the Senate that? Um, you know, it makes no sense. That's so dumb. They literally had proof. But earlier in the film, Qui-Gon clearly states that that is a trap. It's not real. Um, and so while, like, Queen, Ad- Queen Amidala may not have been able to know that her first time watching it, but I'm sure the Senate would have been able to tell. Someone would have been able to see, like, oh, that's not actually a real recording. Right so a big point here
0: that I'm about to bring up since we did watch a later version of the movie whenever we get to Cor- Coruscant we see CGI Yoda and not Puppet CGI Yoda,
1: Yoda. What, what's your opinion on that? I don't mind I, I like don't get me wrong I understand why the original trilogy fans didn't like CGI Yoda that is like most of their arguments I disagree with but that that's one I mean, I guess I still disagree with it, but I can understand where they're com- coming from. It's the same thing with um, CGI job of the Hut. It's, it's jarring to see a character that was a puppet or an animatronic, and then they're just randomly CGI. It, it's hard. Um, but I, I really don't mind. And I think it makes more sense saying he's CGI for episode two and episode three. I think it makes the trilogy itself feel more connected.
0: Right. Uh, the only thing I have about CGI versus Puppet Yoda is, like I said, we're watching later versions. Uh, right. With my Blu-ray version that I watched, and then, of course, on Disney+, Plus, he CGI. You know, it's like we said uh, in the last podcast about how Star Wars changes for the different generations that watch it. Exactly. So to have CGI Yoda now in these newer editions because in the original release, obviously he wasn't CGI Yoda. he was still puppet Yoda. Uh, right. now it makes sense for him to be CGI Yoda because that's the way we see him from here on out until the the new series where he's again a, a puppet, puppet again,
1: which I actually think makes perfect sense, you know, because I think one reason CGI versus puppet Yoda never really bothered me, is the fact that uh, CGI Yoda is Grandmaster of the Jedi. He's a younger version. And I know he's like 900 years, so 40-year difference isn't really that big for him. But he's still a little younger. He's still Grandmaster of the Jedi. Uh, But then in the original trilogy, he's kind of... He's a hermit. He's fallen from grace. Yeah, he's beaten down. And Yeah, and so I think it makes perfect sense for episode 8 Wait no episode nine Yoda. To be a puppet again because that's how we saw him in the original original trilogy. That's how he was when he died. Right. So
0: how crazy was it? And I don't know if you noticed it in the senate scene that we see um, little ETS as part of the oh, senate.
1: I love, I love that Easter egg so much. Um, and something else I noticed is we also see. Wookies, right? As well, which which I remember I, I,
0: the, the little ET figures being in the old version, but I don't know about the Wookies.
1: Yeah, I I don't remember either. But again, just a little background Easter egg that helps connect this uh, the different trilogies, right?
0: Which I noticed the Wookies too, and I don't think I ever had before
1: until this uh, rewatch. I was like, hey, so
0: there are some Wookiees. I actually,
1: I actually was watching it. But I looked down, I was, I looked down at my phone, but then I heard... Yeah, you heard the roar? Yeah, and so I literally rewinded. I was like, where are those
0: Wookiees? Exactly. So then we get, um, after the very intense scene of the Senate, we have um, a scene with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan again, and it's Qui-Gon insisting that, you know, Anakin be trained, and Obi-Wan, you know, asks him when they're alone, he's like, why do you always do this? Like, if you if you would just follow the rules a little bit, you know, typical Obi-Wan, y- you know, you'd be on the council and you could influence change and stuff like that. And Qui-Gon says,
1: I must do the will of the Force. Right. Which kind of goes to what I was saying earlier. Um, and we see it, very clearly stated in episode 3 where Obi-Wan says I serve the republic um right and democracy of course and democracy of course um instead of saying you know I serve the force and so I think that's really what sets Qui-Gon apart from the rest of the Jedi is he he truly is following the force first and foremost And to him, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of the other Jedis are, but I think in their minds, they're also considering the opinion of the Republic and of the Senate. Qui-Gon, all that matters to him is what the Force says.
0: Right. So then we get Anakin with the Jedi Council, and I don't think I ever noticed how hard Yoda picks him apart. (laughs)
1: Right? Yoda... I just think it's so funny the different, how different Yoda treats young Anakin versus when he sees Luke for the first time. Right. Like, don't get me wrong. He gives Luke a hard time, too, but it's a completely different... In a completely different way. Right. Like, he destroys nine-year-old Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> Poor nine-year-old Anakin. I know. And, of course... Of course. And so I think it's really funny because a lot of people point out how um Mace Window treats Mace Window treats him, but I mean Yoda really really lets young Anakin have it.
0: Exactly.
1: So after that um the vote of no confidence is
0: happening in the Senate and everything and Chancellor Palpatine comes back to see Queen Amidala again and um I never noticed this before. It's another one of those small Star Wars things. And I watch everything with subtitles, so I don't think I would have picked up on this without him. But uh, Palpatine mentions that he's been entered in the race to become Chancellor, along with Bail Antilles.
1: Oh, yes, from Alderaan. Yes, who's, who's not yeah. the same person as
0: Bail Organa. They just have the same first name. But right, Bail Antilles is the captain at the end of episode three that Bail Organa says to uh, send R two D two and C three PO to.
1: What an amazing little Easter egg! Right, I love that so much. Yes, and so I actually I noticed that as well. And uh, something I wanted to point out is that uh, Queen Abedal's, uh chief, like bodyguard he pronounces it as Alderan instead of Alderon, And that did, that never bothered me because I think that makes total sense. People, if you've never heard it pronounced before, like if I, if I hadn't heard it pronounced like in the original trilogy, I probably would pronounce it wrong as well.
0: And just to be sure, you're referencing
1: Captain Panaka?
0: Yes. I just like to name characters.
1: I I do too and I literally was like I was watching the film and I definitely missed a couple names and I was like I really really need to go double check what these characters names are before we start recording and then I was like you know what nah Max got me he'll know who I'm talking about I wouldn't say that I have all the knowledge
0: but for the most part I, I can name you characters pretty well yeah so uh, in that scene as well Amidala just decides well I've got to get back to Naboo have you ever noticed how quickly Palpatine like starts falling back on his heels and he's like no no it's too dangerous you have to stay and like immediately you can tell you know you don't know he's the bad guy yet but that she's screwing up his plans so bad
1: yeah I know I know and I mean well yeah I mean think about it her going back I mean, he's able to adapt, and he still is able to become the chancellor. But I really do think he wanted—he wanted the Trade Federation to have control of Naboo long term, not not just as a small thing for him to come into power. So while it still did work out for him that he became the chancellor, her going back—I mean, they. Destroyed the Trade Federation at Naboo. Right. It all put a, a well,
0: as Sabalba would throw, a wrench in his plan.
1: Exactly. And so that's really interesting because, I mean, we see um, higher-ups in the Trade Federation get killed in the uh, when Anakin blows up their ship. So I wonder if that kind of pushed his plan back a little bit in terms of years i don't know palpatine's a pretty smart guy and he's very quick he did he is and obviously uh the separatists weren't just the trade federation there were other planets who joined them but i mean the tra- the trade federation played a major major role in the separatist army right um so i mean newt gunray he survives but like I said, his sec i am pretty sure that's his second in command—and there's some other higher ups on that ship. When it gets blown up, it m- it might have pushed his plan back a couple of years. Right. So next, not for sure, but possibly. Possibly,
0: or he he had to reinvent his, or fine-tweak his plan a little bit after that happened.
1: Right, and like like you've pointed out, he literally is a master at doing that. So. not like it hurt him that much right so next
0: we get the scene of them um on the little launch pad about to go back to Naboo and I never noticed I've said that like a million times in this podcast so far (laughs) but again I have to watch things with subtitles or else I miss them. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are talking about Anakin and and training him and Qui-Gon says well from your point of view to Obi-Wan and Mm -hmm. I was like that's where he gets it.
1: That's where he gets it.
0: <laughs> right, and then you have Qui-Gon talking to Anakin, and he tells Anakin, like, well, the council said I'm not allowed to train you, but uh, I just listen to me and just do what I tell you. So he's like, I can't train you, but I'm going to train you anyway,
1: okay? So let's go. Obi-Wan, not Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon did not care <laughs> what the council said. I really think that... Obviously, I think if he'd lived, he would have been able to uh, convince the council otherwise later. But even if he wasn't able to, I fully believe he would have trained Anakin in secret.
0: I don't think he would have had to done it in secret. Qui-Gon does what Qui-Gon needs to do.
1: <laughs> Qui-Gon does what he needs it's to do. It's the will this of the force. very true. Which, oh, I'm so excited to talk about because I've got a lot to say once we get a little further into the f- into this.
0: Alright, so when we're back on Naboo, they go to look uh, for the Gungans, and they're not at their city anymore. And I love how Jar Jar just gives up all the secrets all the time. He's like, well, nobody's at the city, but sometimes we have this really secret, sacred place that we go to whenever we get into trouble. So uh, I'll, I'll take you there now. And I'm just like, Jar Jar,
1: why do you give up all the secrets? So... We don't have to spend a lot of time talking about this, but I just need to clarify real quick okay, that I'll try my best. I am, am a firm believer in the fact that Jar Jar was supposed to be a Sith.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah, I'm not even
1: entertaining this one. <laughs> like, I do think that after the bad fan reaction, George Lucas did end up changing it, but... I really believe he was supposed to be a Sith, and nothing can change my mind on that.
0: And you, sir, are totally allowed to have that opinion, and you know what? We can visit this topic another time, but
1: right now I'm not going to talk to you about it or even entertain that idea, sir. Just know that if we're skipping this now, that it might just have to be its own episode later.
0: Well, this is only episode two, and you have brought it up the past time
1: as well, so I, I could only see that it would come back again. Oh, definitely. Anyway, um, but no, I think that is really interesting what you're saying, though, about him just giving away the secrets. And putting the Darth Jar Jar theory, theory aside, he does own a, a life debt to Qui Gon. So. Tis demanded by you know, the gods, it is. Tis demanded by the gods. Yeah.
0: So uh then we get the epic reveal that Padme is actually the queen and if you ever noticed, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. The uh look that Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon give each other.
1: Yep. It's one of yeah. my favorite oh. little moments. Okay, so I I really wanted to talk about this because they had no idea. Like as as open as they are to the Force. They had no idea that she was the queen. And that's no more, like, obvious than the multiple times that Qui-Gon and Padme are arguing back on Tatooine. And she keeps saying, this is not what the queen would want. Right, and and Qui-Gon's just
0: like, well, it's what I'm doing, so
1: we're going to do that anyways. (laughs) Right. Just such, like, obviously they're arguing, but I think it's also very subtle because— we don't yet at that point in the film know that she's the queen like she is trying to hint like this is not what we should be doing anyway to your point i just i love the look when they fig- when they figure it out
0: right they both give each other this real like sly look
1: yeah and then finally and- go ahead oh no just the fact of like that she puts her pride aside and bows to the big boss, you know. She's willing to do that for her people. Right. And obviously that's, that's the type of person she is, but I feel like most royalty wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't bow in the presence of another, not even just in the presence, but bow to another king or queen.
0: Right. And then finally, after all of that talking... We get to one of my favorite battles in all of Star Wars, in that big open field, and I have to say, I thought it was so cool when I was a kid, and I still think it's awesome the way that the droids come out of the uh, the uh, big droid carriers, you know, and they deploy and they like unfold and
1: stuff. Oh my gosh, I I love that battle so much too. Like I, that's one that is one area where like the nostalgia just hit me so hard, and I was just like, this is so amazing. Like, I love that battle, and I love the um, the technology that the Gungans use to fight the droids. They yeah. aren't using... The
0: shield generator and the little blue electricity balls.
1: Right, and then, I mean, they've got... Um, they They're using spears as well, like... It's a... I think it's a really beautiful mix of, like, Space age technology, but yet it's with... so primitive. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And then finally, we get
0: probably one of the most epic reveals of Darth Maul coming through the double doors, dropping his cloak, and igniting his double-bladed lightsaber
1: for the first oh my time. My gosh, so amazing!
0: It is. I have a side note uh, that Ray Park is a legend, which, if you don't know, Ray Park is the man that uh, you see on screen as Darth Maul. He was voiced by a different person because he has a funny accent that uh, George decided to go a different route and get a, a voice actor, and Ray Park was totally fine with it, um, but which he's such an amazing um, stage fighter.
1: Right. Okay, so that's really funny, because George Lucas did the exact same thing with Darth Vader. <laughs> right. I don't think I've ever thought of it like that. But he didn't tell
0: David Prowse that time.
1: That is true. I feel so bad for him. But we'll we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that when we get to episode four. Right.
0: So we've got the duel beginning on Naboo. And then we've got the space battle going on. And I have written down spinning. The best maneuver ever. <laughs>
1: the best maneuver <laughs> uh man I, it really is a good battle and i think something like something i wanted to point out was just how outnumbered the naboo fighters were which i mean we see that a lot in star wars but just the fact i don't know i just think it's funny how not funny but really amazing how well they're able to fight off the Trade Federation's fighters, and how many of them actually come home.
0: Right. that I thought of that, too, whenever they go into space and you see that there's, like, nine fighters, which calls back, well, also into the future of, you know, what we're going to see in the original trilogy. But, of course, right. we'll visit that later.
1: Right. So, I think it's time we talk about the Duel of the Fates.
0: You know what? That's hilarious, because my next note... <laughs> in big capital letters with three exclamation points
1: duel of the fates okay and so this is something i really wanted to bring up but i'm sure it's something you want to talk about too and for our listeners um who may not know the duel of the fates is actually actually symbolizes a duel over anakin's fate it is Obi- not Obi-Wan. Well, I mean, he's a part of it, but it's really Qui-Gon and Darth Maul. It is the light side and the dark side battling over Anakin's future. And while it is Obi-Wan who is victorious, it was really Qui-Gon who is fighting for Anakin's future. And with his death, it really cements the fact that Anakin will turn to the dark side someday. And I just think it's just the symbolism behind the music and the scene is just so amazing. I, I just love it so much. And I really I stand by it. If Qui-Gon had lived, Anakin would have stayed on the light side. No no doubt in my mind.
0: That's a theory we can discuss at another time. <laughs> that is,
1: yes. That's more we could talk about that. <laughs> really any of the Really any of the next, like, five episodes. Oh, yeah. So, I noticed something.
0: I have to quit saying that. But, so... It's okay. During the fight with Darth Maul, whenever they're stuck in, like, the shield room part, you know, right before Qui-Gon dies. Yes. Have you ever noticed how calm Qui-Gon is? Just like Mm -hmm. how Ben is right before he dies in A New Hope? Yes,
1: yeah, and obviously
0: yeah. we don't know yet that Qui Gon figured out how to come back um, in the form of a Force ghost yet. But do you think that was him understanding that he was probably about to die and tapping into that really raw power of the Force before he died,
1: just like honestly, ben did? I. I could definitely see that. That that makes total sense. Because, I mean, he even stops. Um, when Maul and him are separated uh, by that field, he stops and he starts to meditate. Yes,
0: that's the scene I'm referring to.
1: Yeah, yeah. Total, he's, I mean, he he's engaged in the fight, but he really is at peace. Right. So...
0: I kind of want you... Well, obviously I want your opinion on this, but the fight just between Obi-Wan and Darth Maul, which is only like 30, 35 seconds max, but I have written down possibly the second best duel in Star Wars. It's...
1: Ooh. Ooh, maybe, yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm running through all the fights in my mind, and I'm, um, it... it... It might be, yeah. It is so so good, and so something I did want to talk about in regards to the fight is a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people don't like the fact that Obi Wan was able to beat Maul when Qui Gon couldn't, but we've got to remember that. I mean, Qui Gon was a master. Maul, even though, even though he won the fight, I'm sure he was. He was not at full power, if that makes sense. Like, he was starting to get tired. He, maybe not exhausted, but he wasn't at full strength. That's my whole point, is Qui-Gon gave Obi-Wan the opportunity he needed to beat Maul. Right. Anyway, sorry. Um, What were you going to say about Obi-Wan and Maul's fight?
0: No, I just wanted your opinion on it.
1: Oh yes, yeah. So so amazing. Really good fight. Like I said, I think I do think Maul, if he just fought, if he just fought Obi Wan, probably would have won.
0: I don't know. I think Qui Gon wore him down a whole lot.
1: No, th- that's what I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But like, if Qui Gon wasn't there and it was just Obi Wan, um, Maul probably would have won.
0: I agree. I think so as well. So then we just have Anakin casually blowing up a whole ship and Maul gets cut in half and it might be goodbye forever. It might not be. Um, And then I think, of course, all that stuff is important, but I think we get to a more important scene when after the whole battle's over and we see Palpatine and members of the Jedi Council land on Naboo and it's a very quick line and Palpatine says, Ah, Anakin Skywalker, we look forward uh to watching your career with great interest.
1: He that man knows. That man knows. So I I've actually got like three points kinda between Maul dying and here.
0: I'll fire him off.
1: Okay, so first, um just one quick quick point is a lot of people uh complain about the force healing in episode nine, which I have my issues with, but one of their biggest things is they bring up this scene where Qui-Gon is dying and how Obi-Wan could have saved him. But we've got to remember that at this point, Obi-Wan was still a Padawan. He probably didn't know such an advanced technique.
0: You yeah, that, or Qui-Gon got stabbed in the chest.
1: That is, yes, like, that is very true. All
0: the way through.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, So Obi-Wan – so he's holding Qui-Gon, and he says uh, – and Qui-Gon basically asks him to train Anakin. So, so Qui-Gon really is this, like, father figure to Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. And Qui-Gon just died for Anakin. Qui-Gon believed 100% without a doubt that – Anakin was supposed to be the chosen one. So I think that, that also adds another layer of depth to Anakin turning to the dark side in how Obi-Wan is taking it. It's, he already has so many other reasons to be hurt by what's happened. But we also have to remember that his master, his father figure, died for Anakin. He believed in Anakin so much and Anakin turned to the dark side. I don't know. It's just another layer of depth that just makes me love these films so much.
0: I completely agree.
1: Okay, and lastly, sorry. um, In terms of what you're saying, Pat—not Pat not pat (laughs) palpatine telling Anakin that he wants to. They're going to be watching his career very closely. So obviously, he's really happy that Anakin has now made his way into the Jedi Order. Wait, actually, at this point, he hasn't. No, he is. You're right cuz this is right before the celebration. Uh wait. No, you're right. He hasn't been That's my next Yeah. Solo. Yoda and Obi-Wan talk
0: right after this, so we'll get into that before, but yeah.
1: Right. So um something that really bothers me and I'm sure you, I'm sure you know about this, but uh some of our listeners might not. Obviously in the original canon, um play, uh Darth Plagueis was the one who made Anakin out of the Force, basically. Disney has now changed that to where it was actually Palpatine who made Anakin with the Force. And I don't know. It it honestly really bothers me. Um, how do you feel about it?
0: I think I'm okay with it because the whole thing supports Palpatine as the Grand Master, which it is all his plan. And if you don't know that old EU stuff um, then I could see how it'd it'd be hard to bring Plagueis in. They could totally do it.
1: Yeah, I mean Plagueis Plagueis is mentioned in um, Episode 3. Episode 3, right. So, I don't know. It's not like a, a huge thing to me. Like I definitely see how it adds a little more to Palpatine's story. But it still bothers me a little bit.
0: And it's allowed to, Elijah. You're allowed to have those feelings.
1: Thanks. I I needed that reinforcement. I
0: know you did, man. I told you, I'm here for you.
1: Thank you. So that actually was my last note.
0: That's great, because I only have two more.
1: Okay, perfect.
0: So, uh, right after that scene, Yoda and Obi-Wan are talking in this room in the palace, uh, just them, and Yoda grants the rank of Jedi Knight to Obi-Wan and he tells him he's going to take on Anakin as his Padawan. Mm -hmm. In the background of the music that they're playing, there's a small, small hint of whenever Yoda tells him that he'll be training Anakin as his Padawan of uh, the Darth Vader theme.
1: Just a few notes. Did you hear those? Yes. I have, yeah. I don't... Okay, so... I actually didn't think about it this time, and I didn't hear it this time, but I have heard it in previous playthroughs. I don't know why I wasn't listening for it this time, but yes, and again, just amazing, amazing work on John Williams' part.
0: Right, like who would ever ever think of that? But that really got me, and I was like, oh, John Williams, you've
1: done it again, sir. You sneaky little snake, I love it.
0: I love it. And then my last <laughs> and final note, is the funeral scene. And it's right at the end whenever Mace and Yoder are talking about, you know, which was destroyed, the Master or the Apprentice. And the final Mm -hmm. uh, shot of that scene is the zoom-in on Palpatine's face. Yep. Uh, Right as, you know, uh, Mace Windu is saying, you know, the Apprentice or the Master, and then you just that's such an awesome shot to me because we know what's going to happen. But it's like, they they don't know that he's right there. They don't know. He's literally he's literally,
1: right literally there. Right there, yeah. Oh, I just love these films so much. And I really think, and we'll we'll get into the sequel trilogy later, but one area that I really just love about the prequel trilogy is that they knew exactly where they were going even even the original trilogy george lucas had an idea but things things changed a lot along the way um you know we can talk about it later but his original idea was for luke to become the next darth vader and then the rest of the series was going to be about leia and han you know bringing luke back to the light side or defeating him Uh, But that obviously got changed. Um, But with the prequel trilogy, there literally was no way they could make major changes like that. Like, they knew exactly where they were going. Anakin was going to become Darth Vader. The Jedi Order was going to fall. Palpatine was the, like, Grand Master behind it all the whole time. And so they were able to do a lot of amazing things, like uh you've been mentioning with like the zoom in on Palpatine's face or Darth Vader's theme being in there just a little bit because they knew they had an exact direction that the film was heading.
0: They did. Prequels are such beautiful movies.
1: Such beautiful movies. They did not deserve the hate.
0: Well do you have any more ideas that we need to discuss there?
1: No, I think that's everything I wanna talk about i think i covered all mine as well yeah fantastic okay well um uh, everybody thank you so much for watching if you want to send in any star wars related questions uh we have an at, we have an email it is animal squadron at com. feel free to send in any star wars themed questions and we will get to those in one of the next episodes it'd be fun i'd
0: like a question episode
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: You know, we could possibly do that uh, if we have enough, like, at the end of um, Episode 3, as far as the movie goes. Oh, yeah. You know, right before we break we into the original like, trilogy.
1: We could do, like, trilogy. We could break it up, break each trilogy up with a question episode. Right. That'd be that'd be awesome. So you guys make
0: sure to get those questions in. Um, Elijah, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? If they okay, want to send yeah, you definitely. a question, just personally, or you know, like follow you on one of your many social medias.
1: Yes, so uh, my main social media platform is YouTube. You can find me at Mother Goose Twenty Seven. Uh, you can also find me at Mother Goose Twenty Seven on TikTok as well, and then uh, really uh, all my other social media, my Instagram, my Twitter, and my Discord. You can find all of those things on my YouTube channel if you want to follow me there. How about you, House Dog? Do you want to promote anything?
0: I would like to promote something. All right. It's our Instagram page. You can go give us a follow there or send us questions there. It's just animal squadron podcast.
1: And I'm. S- you can reach me there. I'm so glad you said something because I completely forgot we had an Instagram page. Man, what would you
0: do without me? This man can't even promote our own social medias.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Anyway, House Dog, why don't you let the people know what they can look forward to in our next episode? Well,
0: I actually had one more quick shout out, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. It's fine. Uh, as you
1: know, our logo is
0: pretty amazing, if I must say so myself.
1: Yeah, such a fantastic logo.
0: And it was done by this great uh, artist. He does logos all the time, mostly things of like cars and stuff like that. But if you want to go give him a follow on Instagram, his Instagram is R I G A Designs. Again, that's R I G A Designs on Instagram. He did our logo work. It's fantastic. Uh, if you need any type of work like that done, I'd suggest him. He's a great guy. Tells you if he can do it or not. Great prices. All around, it was just a great interaction working with him. So go give him a follow on Instagram. Like I said, if you need work done, give him a DM. Tell him that the Animal Squadron podcast sent you. And I'd look forward to hearing from him.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm, like House Dog said, just an amazing artist. I, too, am just so pleased with how well he did.
0: Right. I wanted to shout him out last time, but I forgot. But uh, other than (laughs) that, everybody can look forward to us obviously covering the next prequel movie, Attack of the Clones.
1: Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed. We absolutely love getting to do this podcast um like house dog said we'll be back uh reviewing the next prequel episode you can look forward to that on october 1st and we will see you in the next one for the animal squadron i am mother goose and house dog and we will see you later